This is Forbes Sports Money on Podcast One. And I'm your host, Mike Ozanian. This show is all about the business of sports. Hi, Christina. Welcome to Forbes Sports Money. Thanks, Mike. Nice to be here. Uh, For those who are not familiar with Christina Satemi's work, she is the media rights guru for our sports money team here and also the expert on gauging fan interest and what fans mean to professional sports teams. And uh, we're going to get in here with Christina's work, which is the NHL's best fans. Christina, what exactly is this list? This list is an objective, measurable way to settle the dispute over who has the best fans in the NHL. The best fans, how? Like those who root the loudest, those who spend the most money? Those, what, what was your methodology? It's actually neither of those. There are five fan consumption metrics that I use. TV ratings, attendance figures, uh, resale demand on the secondary ticket market, merchandise sales, and social media. So there's not really a um, monetary component to this. It plays a little bit into it, but it's it's how engaged fans are with their team. Well, I'm looking at the list, and, uh, and, and although there may not be a direct monetary component, there certainly seems to be a tie-in between the best fans in hockey and the most valuable teams in hockey. So number one on your list are the Chicago Blackhawks, the fourth most valuable team in the NHL worth $1.1 billion. The Blackhawks, of course, sort of have this mini dynasty going where they've won, what, three cups in six years, something like that. Um, how do the Blackhawks stand out based on your metrics? Well, it's interesting. There's definitely a correlation if you look at our list. And over the years since I've done this, I think the first one in 2009. So this is the fourth iteration, and there's always been a correlation between the best fans and the team values. So the better the fans, the more valuable the team is. And as you see with the Blackhawks climbing up into our top spot, their their valuation has also climbed. And that's pretty much attributable to the passing of uh, Wirtz Sr. and Rocky Wirtz taking over and putting the team on television and spending some money on players. This Their season ticket renewal since the 2007-2008 period has been 99%. Their TV ratings have skyrocketed, and that's in large part because they're now on TV. All their games are on TV. They have a 20,000-person waiting list. Their tickets are going three times the price on the secondary market. And in terms of when they're visiting, they're on the road ticket price. It's the highest in the league. So when they're going to other teams, other teams are finding that their tickets are going up an average of 44% just, to, just for their fans to see their team play the Blackhawks. Wow. And, and just for people uh, that aren't as old as I am that may not remember this, the, the elder Wirtz who bought the team and passed away, he kind of had this uh, outdated philosophy, which was if you put all the local home games on TV, fans wouldn't come to the arena. So the Blackhawks brand sort of became diminished over the years. And then when his son took over, sort of modernized the marketing philosophy of the Blackhawks and did the opposite, put all the games on TV and also started spending a lot on players, which was not something his father was known for. And the team has really become, as we said, a, a mini dynasty. Yeah, no, Rocky works totally woke a sleeping giant there. The um, the fact that he spent money initially, immediately on Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze and their 
two of the league's most popular players in terms of merchandise sales um, and just in terms of viewership is, is really a credit to him. And he's also spending money in the community. They're, they just approved a new training facility, and it's going to include two youth hockey rinks. And they are blanketing the area with their jerseys. So it used to be you walked around Chicago and you saw Bulls jerseys or Bears jerseys, and now more often than not, you're seeing people in Blackhawks jerseys. So he he's definitely, you know, he should be credited for one of the greatest turnarounds. Really, the, they were prime for the picking. Not every every market is, but Chicago definitely was. You know, one of the things that I think makes this list uh, that you've done, the best fans in, in, in the NHL, so important, more important than some of the other leagues where you've looked at fans, is that the National Hockey League more than any other team sport in the United States, is dependent on local revenue. In other words, tickets, sponsorships at the arena, the local TV rights in the NHL make up a much higher percentage of overall revenue than they do for baseball, basketball, or the National Football League. So that fan loyalty is key in hockey. Absolutely. Like I said before, the correlation is totally there. Better fans, better team value. Um, and they do. The fans generate 50% of the league, which is incredible considering they're the last league that had a, a lockout. And fans came back gang like gangbusters. It's as if they could have a lockout every other year and teams would still come back based on some of, including some of our teams that ranked in the top 10. I mean, they, some of them are glutton for punishments in terms of, you know, terrible teams on the ice, uh, being a little bit disrespected by the league. But these, these super fans, as I've called the top 10, they really have it in their DNA to, to be diehards. As you've measured this, the best fans over the years, what is more important? In other words, I'm looking at number two, the Pittsburgh Penguins, right? They won the Stanley Cup last year, obviously. Uh, they're not a big market team, and they have a superstar, maybe the best player in the game, Sidney Crosby. People argue between he and Alex Ovechkin at the Capitals. What do you think uh, comes first here? Having the superstar like Crosby, is that more important to having the loyal fans who keep watching on TV and buying tickets? Or is, is having the cup or being a contender for the Stanley Cup more important to having the best fans? Well, the correlation is kind of there between winning, um, but then you have outliers like the Leafs who are on there. And more importantly, the team that's tied at number two with the Pens, the Canadians. I mean, they haven't had a Stanley Cup in 29 years, yet they've been able to jack up ticket prices. They're constantly in the uh, above 100% attendance capacity. And, you know, these these are fans that when their superstar P.K. Subban left in the, in the summer uh, down to Nashville, the protest across social media was so large and wide and funny. And even, you know, fans did things like one of them took out a $20,000 page ad to thank them and kind of chastise the team. So, yeah, there's a little bit of winning to this, but, you know, there are also these in, in the in the winter climates climates versus the warm weather climates there's just in the in the fans dna this their their love for hockey is pretty great yeah i mean you know you, you bring up a great point 
with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think they last won the Stanley Cup in 1967. It might be. You know, I think you know, I was like eight years old or something yeah. like that. I, I wasn't uh, born. Vaguely remember that, but <laughs> they generally have a terrible team on the ice. You know, they, they yeah. rarely make the playoffs. Yet their fans are very, very loyal, which enables them to be the third most valuable team in the National Hockey League, worth $1.1 billion. Do you think that the Leafs are a function of, I guess that's the biggest city in Canada, Toronto, is that, that brand loyalty stays, is a manifestation of the size of the market? Yes, it's definitely the size of the market. Um, you know, because we have teams that have fallen off this list, like Vancouver, which is smaller, uh, still really close to the top 10. But the, the market definitely has something to do with it. The brand is just there. And then, you know, now they have this hot shot, um, Austin Matthews. He's he's a rookie. And um, he is, I think, right now leading the NHL in jersey sales. But in terms of merchandise, they're always in the top three or four. And this is going back to about 2009, and they haven't been in the playoffs for the past 11 or 12 seasons. So, again, these are your super diehard fans. One thing that jumped out at me when I looked at your list, Christina, were, were the Red Wings. You know, Detroit's known as Hockey Town. Mm-hmm. Hockey Town, USA. Yeah. And typically they have a very strong team on the ice, yet you have the Red Wings ranked eighth. Why so relatively low for Hockey Town? I know. You know, I was looking at that. It's really not, it's not, it's not that the Red Wings fans are less enthusiastic than those that rank seven above them. It's just that they're always going to be here. They're always going to be a staple. They and the Sabres, um, there's something, again, in that fan base that, they're just going to show up for the for the uh, for their team. They're also one of they always have the top selling merchandise. I mean that logo is so iconic that it seems that even when you look at NHL merchandise sales, it's outside their market that that sells. So people just like to wear that jersey. And then you know the other thing now with them moving into the new arena is that they've already had a record pace of renewals before it even opened. So people are really excited. I wouldn't be surprised if they move up a little bit. I mean, it's going to be hard for them to come in, you know, and beat the Blackhawks, Canadians, and and Penguins, but they they could probably come a little closer to the top spot. Yeah, this is the first year they're playing in their new arena, right? No, next year will be. Next year, the metrics that go into the... The fans will have a have a better opportunity to express their interest, right? Right, right. Because the uh, amenities there will cost more. The other thing I was thinking about with Detroit, too, is, I mean, as a city, it's gone through some very yes. tough times the past several years. I think, you know, it was, for lack of a better way of putting it, they were kind of in bankruptcy protection, right? right? The economy was tough. The auto industry went through some very difficult times. Um, I'm thinking, you know, when the economy turns around, and if it dovetails into what you mentioned, their new arena next year, that could really help move the Red Wings up this list. Sure. Um, and that, that, that's, a, that's a good point because while their economy was in shambles, one thing that didn't really suffer, and this is, this is true for a bunch of the teens on our list, is their youth hockey participation didn't decline. And 
I think you have a nephew that plays hockey. Yeah. You know, that's not yeah. a cheap sport. It's no. probably the most expensive youth sport. So kids were still playing. They were still actively engaged. They might not have been able to make it to the arena, although they're, they've always been at the top in terms of capacity. So they might not have been able to make it into the arena and, and buy all the, the goodies inside, but they were still buying jerseys and they were still turning out on t- tuning in on TV and on radio. So, um, they're really they they weathered that storm pretty tough mm-hmm. and the thing about the red wings and the wild who come in at number 10 and then the rangers the blackhawks and um the sabers is that they're the they're in the states with the highest youth participation mm-hmm. and last year when i did this i looked at the least engaged fans and every team that was in the that bottom 10 all told me that they've not yet developed their youth hockey program these are states that all have, and they're also original 16s. There's definitely a correlation also between age of the team and the best fans in the league. It, parents have passed this down. It's really it's a tribal sport. You know, we've talked about that, and that comes into play with the local revenue. But it's also, just like baseball, it's a father-son, you know, parent-to-child sport. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey guys, David Smalley here, reminding you to check out Dogma Debate on the Podcast One app, iTunes, and basically everywhere else you could possibly hear a podcast. Dogma Debate is basically a way for you to peek in on conversations you've always wondered about. Say a hardcore anti-gay preacher meets an atheist who knows the Bible like the back of his hand, or a far-left social justice warrior meets a different kind of liberal who doesn't want to join in on the riots. On Dogma Debate, I talk to people who completely disagree with me, and I let them tell me why they think I'm wrong, why I should be on their team, and why they take such an extreme stance. And sometimes you'll just hear me hanging out with like-minded people and laughing during segments like Republicans Say the Darndest Things or Fact Check Yo Mama. It all happens on Dogma Debate, right here on Podcast One. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. It's peak season for asparagus, which pairs perfectly with a light and crisp rosé. Many bottles of champagne and sparkling wines are perfect for adult Easter baskets. And they're really cute, too. My perfect brunch? Belgian waffles with extra whipped cream and a holiday pour of your sweetest rosé. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! Yeah, so these cities that have had hockey for a long time, particularly in the Northeast, kids grew up, they started playing it. It makes sense that they'd follow it and become engaged with the teams later on. Then, of course, they go to the arena, watch on TV, spend money. That helps. You know, uh, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman, uh, he's been there like 4,000 years, I think, as the commissioner (laughs) of the league. But, you know, his master plan is he's insistent that the NHL can be national throughout the country he's made the big push to uh the southwest Mm. uh to the southeast with mixed results and next season we're going to have an expansion team in las vegas and the big debate there is you know can the las vegas franchise get that core fan base to succeed and if you look at your uh best fans list None of these teams are in the South, unless I'm missing something. No, so, you're not so that, missing. That's sort of, I mean, how many people in Las Vegas grew up watching hockey or playing hockey? I don't know. Not just that, but not one single Pacific Conference team comes anywhere close to the top ten. The bottom ten is full of Sunbelt 
state teams. And that, again, has been the case since 2008 or 9. Um, even with teams like Florida Panthers, who were you know kind of making a run for it, and even Tampa Bay a bit, and the Carolina Hurricanes, they, were, they won a Stanley Cup. They, those teams still cannot crack even like the top 18. So there's the top five or six, then there's everybody to about 18, and then there's the bottom 12, all of them in the Sunshine States, and then a few teams like the New Jersey Devils and the New, uh, New York Islanders. They're, they're having a really tough time. It's an interesting thing when you think that you look at the list and the Jets are in there. And this is the first year they were really eligible because I had enough data to include them. But they came from Atlanta. Atlanta is such a international hub. There are people that, um, you know, transplants from all over the world there. And they claim they are such a great sports city, yet the Thrashers could not survive there. How is I don't understand how Las Vegas is much different than mm-hmm. Atlanta, despite, you know, the economies based on casinos. I, I don't know how it's going to work. I, I've looked, and I don't, I don't, doesn't make sense to me, but, you know, Bettman's the, the wizard behind that. You make a great point about the Carolina Hurricanes. I think when they won their Stanley Cup, it was the first year after the lockout, around 2005, yeah. five, six, somewhere yeah. around there. And right now, the uh, Carmenos, the man who owns the Hurricanes, he's been looking for investors for two years. But because he has such weak fan support, and that statistic is borne out in your list, they, where, they, where they rate very low uh, in terms of having the best fans, he can't raise money. He can't find anybody to put money there. So, so there's, there is a very strong correlation between fan interest and the success of a team. One thing I've always kind of been curious about is, you know, what type of any feedback do you get from from the owners or executives at these teams when this list comes out? Um, well, everybody thinks that they have the best fans, <laughs> despite the fact that this is all number-based. And usually, nine times out of ten, I get numbers from teams and the league. So these are every once in a while I have to go to a media partner to get, you know, to fill in a hole if I can't get the numbers from the team. So... The data is based on information they give me, yet then they argue it. So that's the funny part. Fans, most fans, at least those that are in the top ten, are very educated on their teams. And they will argue that, you know, Bruins fans have been arguing since I did this, that they deserve top billing over the Penguins. Um, so it's just pretty funny that everybody gets on about gets on me about the objectivity of it and then the fact that everybody else has bandwagon fans and they have the best. But... To that point, the bandwagon fan thing is always brought up. But I actually, when I do this, I use three years of data. So I try to smooth out for somebody that recently won the cup. And and the Blackhawks are prime example. They didn't win last year. San Jose and Pittsburgh were in there. San Jose doesn't even crack the list. Um, and the Penguins dropped down from number one to, you know, tied for number two. So I not just use three years, but then I also look at changes because I want to see what the trends are. Um, and that's why somebody like the Red Wings are great because they there's not much change when you keep looking at this year over year year they're consistently ranked near the top it's just that sometimes you know these other teams just inch just above them the difference between them aren't that great though you know as you say you look at three years worth of data to measure which teams have the best fans uh which means if there is movement it's very meaningful because you're smoothing out you know year-to-year fluctuations 
What big changes have you seen or that you can recall since you've been compiling this list, either up or down? Well, I think um, the Oilers, Vancouver, and the Senators not being in here when they were previously um, is a little bit telling because this was previously heavily dominated by Canadian teams. And now this year, we've got the Jets in there, which is a Canadian team, but a newbie. And then the Wilds snuck in. So that was interesting to me, specifically because the Wild, you don't think of them as a, well, one, they're a small market team, but you don't think of them until then you start looking at how many you know outdoor games happen around that region and how active they are with their community passing out jerseys you know down into even adult leagues are wearing wild jerseys so um the most shocking thing though to me was definitely not seeing vancouver and then the other one was not seeing the flyers in here um because their tv ratings sort of took a beating last year so they they just missed it but them, the Senators, the the Canucks, and and then even the Flames, they would they all like just pack right there from like eleven to fifteen. They're they're very close in there. I know, I know, <laughs> and I, I think I got to get you to fess up on this. As a Flyers fan, that, that that was that shows how objective you uh-huh, are, Christina. See? Because I know if there was any way, you would have had the Flyers every up there in the top time. 10. Um, but look, you know, maybe it's because. What was it, 1974 they yeah. won their last Stanley yeah. Cup? So maybe, maybe the, uh, the lack of a championship is starting to weigh a little bit. But uh, they do okay. And I, I always get a big kick out of the social media banter of all these hockey fans when your list comes out, the back and forth. And um, what does the bottom half of this list have to learn from the top half? I think it's how to better engage the younger fan. Last year, an NHL executive told me that the average age that they can uh, ring in a fan and really get their diehard loyal fan is at the age of eight. So a few teams down at the bottom of the list last year when I spoke to them said that they were doing a better job of engaging with the youth market. So the New Jersey Devils are a prime example, and that's in our market and in our backyard. So I I see a lot of it. What they're doing is they're going out to youth rinks and public rinks and slapping their logo across the boards. They're joining up with the youth leagues, and they're giving kids passes to their games. Um, And then there are teams like the Arizona Coyotes who went and had a night where they decided to say, hey, there's a lot of transplants in Arizona. You come out, bring your other team's jersey, and we'll swap for one of our new ones. And they gave little kids, like, extra stuff. So and, and the bobblehead things like that, things that really appeal to kids making kid-friendly zones, these are what those bottom half teams can learn from. Christina, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, Mike, so much. That's it for this episode of Forbes Sports Money. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with a comment or question, please email us at sportsmoney at podcastone.com. That's O-N-E dot com. 
I'm Rob Cisternino, the aptly named Rob Has a Podcast, where we're creating fun, smart conversation around reality TV games like Survivor. And this March, Survivor Game Changers is finally here. Join me weekdays for episode recaps, player interviews, and of course, your feedback. So if you're ready for a game change in your own Survivor experience, Download Rob Has a Podcast at podcastone.com on the Podcast One app or subscribe on iTunes. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Everybody loves honey glazed carrots, a great side dish for your springtime celebration and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Your Bloody Mary bar will be the talk of brunch with the vodka I'm stalking. Pile those toppings sky high. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. London police have arrested Julian Assange on extradition charges to the United States, as well as for violating his bail. Assange is accused of publishing classified documents through WikiLeaks. In 2010, he told Sky News he was worried about what the U.S. might do to him. The United States recently has shown that its institutions seem to be failing. Uh, They are failing to follow the rule of law. And with dealing with a superpower that does not appear to be following following the rule of law, is a serious business. He also said in 2010 the U.S. officials had threatened him and those associated with him. There has been many calls by senior political figures uh, in the United States, uh, including elected ones in the Senate, uh, for my execution the kidnapping of my staff. Edward Snowden, the former security contractor who leaked classified information about U.S. surveillance programs, says the arrest of Assange is a blow to media freedom. I'm Rita Foley.